my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Julia Menez. I love free stuff. A free drink is always more delightful. A free meal is somehow more delicious. But a free flight or a free stay at a hotel, well, to me, damn it, that is pure luxury. Now I know what you're thinking. Travel hacking can be one of those wealthy people getting free stuff situations. Yeah, sometimes, but it's also something that's available if you're in a position where you can use credit cards responsibly and you choose to play it like a game. So if you love free stuff as much as I do and you want to learn a little bit about how to get started with travel hacking, well, then this conversation with Julia Menez is for you. Julia loves learning and talking about credit card points and traveling and she's made a career out of educating people on how to get started and helping them optimize their credit card rewards. So whether you're just getting started with travel hacking or you're a little bit experienced like me, I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Julia. (music) 
Julia, thank you so much for joining me on the Weird Finance Podcast. I am very, very excited to jump in and chat credit card points with you. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Credit card points are my favorite topic to talk about. So always welcome any opportunities to chat about it with anybody else. Hell yeah, I love that. So you've made a name for yourself online. You've got a podcast. You've went viral on Instagram. You have a big following there. You've made a name for yourself doing helping people with travel hacking, right? And so the definition of travel hacking for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Julia, it's a way to leverage credit card travel programs to either travel for less or travel for free. Am I missing anything there? No, you absolutely nailed it. So travel hacking and the style that I teach is leveraging the loyalty programs of airlines, hotels, and credit card partners in order to get really, really deep discounts on travel, exactly as you said. So how the heck did you get into this rabbit hole online? Tell me all about it. So back in maybe 2017, I was done with my actuarial exams because I'm actually an actuary by trade. So a lot of deep math modeling into healthcare and all of that. And all the time that I was spending on actuarial exams and studying for that was suddenly done. And I had way too much energy. So I was hanging out with my husband like all the time, (laughs) which was really encroaching on like video game time. So he said, I think you're going to enjoy these personal finance blogs. Maybe just read through all of this. And I don't think he realized how deep I was going to dive into that rabbit hole. Because back in 2017, it was a lot of like Mr. Money Mustache, Afford Anything, Go Curry Cracker, Millennial Revolution, all of those things. And I just dove so deep into the world of personal finance. And throughout those blogs, I also heard that some people were traveling for pretty much free by using credit card points. And I thought, that's got to be a scam, right? Like, (laughs) there's no way this is working. But as I just kind of heard about it more and more and kind of looked into it, I was like, well... Let's just test this out with one or two cards. And then eventually we were able to get some free travel and I got hooked from there. And I never really thought this is what I would be doing full time now. I just expected to always have an actuarial career. But at some point, this turned into a real business and I'm very excited for it. Well, congratulations. That's a hard thing to do. Okay, I want to back up a little bit and talk about you and your husband because you guys became multimillionaires by the age of 30. This is a podcast about personal finance, we cannot gloss over that. So can you talk me through how you folks accomplish such a feat? Yeah, a lot of people do all of these gymnastics in order to create a really big gap between their income and their expenses. And for us, it kind of came naturally because during those years where I was studying for actuarial exams, that took up my entire life. So we didn't ever really have time to go out to eat or to take really lavish vacations or even to go on shopping trips. I just had no brain space to allocate to do any of these things anyway. So everything was just super simple and super efficient so that I could allocate as much time as possible to studying. So for example, we would just order or we would just go to the grocery store. I'd batch cook food for the week and then we'd be good to go from there. So our expenses were really, really low because he just kind of played video games for fun. I didn't really have much fun. We went to work and then there was rent and groceries, but otherwise not too much on the extravagant side from eating out and going on shopping trips. And we also had a lot of advantages because neither of us had student loans. So that helped. 
a lot because we both had scholarships. We went to the University of Nebraska. We both had high paying jobs. I was an actuary. He's a software engineer. And so between two high incomes and a really low expense ratio, we were pretty much able to just live off of my income. So we were throwing an entire software engineer salary or compensation package into savings and investments every year, which is like 50%, a little bit more than 50% of our take-home pay was just going into savings and investments. And if you do that for six or seven years, you just turn into multimillionaires. The math just happens that way, where if you're, if you're putting a software engineer's compensation into savings and investments, and it's going to compound over those seven years, suddenly you're multimillionaires. So there's not like some magic, oh, we invested in this particular like Bitcoin or this business blew up or something. It was just index funds. And it was really just living off of less than 50% of our household income, which, as I mentioned, is a lot easier to do when you have two high incomes to start with. And we didn't have loans to pay off. We don't have kids or anything like that. So a lot of advantages working in our favor as well. I appreciate you acknowledging not just the advantages and the privilege that you've had, but also that building wealth is just kind of boring. <laughs> like it's really not that exciting. Investments are just not that exciting. You find, like you said, a, a balanced index fund or a portfolio of ETFs and you just put a little bit or in your case, a lot of it over time and the magic of compounding ta-da, you have a a nest egg. So I appreciate you highlighting the fact that it's super, super boring. Okay, even though the path to financial independence was boring, do you have a memory like of the moment that you realized when you were financially independent? And was was it joyful or were you like, well, I guess this is how it happens? We hit certain milestones when certain weird things happen in the news. Like one of our million milestones was the siege of the White House. So they were actually not on great days, but it was memorable. I was like, hey, we have like multiple million dollars. Also, like Olympus has fallen. So I wouldn't say it was actually the best day. It wasn't like a party or anything. I was just like, wow, Mint looks really good. Also, what is happening on the news? The the universe kept you humble is what it sounds like. Yeah, that that was our multimillionaire day. Oh, man. I'm curious, like, does your fin- like perspectives on personal finance or your perspectives on your financial goals, did they evolve much, you know, after you became financially independent? It's been a little bit slow of an evolution, but I think eventually everybody goes through like, oh, I, I should just like save and invest. And for us, it kind of happened naturally because we just didn't have expensive tastes. But there's a lot of, oh, I want to retire early. I want to become financially independent. I should save and invest as much as possible. And at some point, you're going to reach whatever your goal is. It might not happen before age 30 for a lot of people, but at age 40 or age 50 or something, like once you've reached 40, you've still got half your life to go. And so if you reach financial independence in your 40s or 50s, you, you kind of have to decide what are you going to do with those other 30 years. And so being able to break out of that shell and say, no, it's okay to spend some money on things that you enjoy. And here's how to intentionally decide, I like food, I like travel, I like nice clothes, I want to live in this part of town. Just being able to kind of break the habit of always delaying gratification and always telling yourself that it's virtuous to never spend on yourself. Breaking out of that is a little bit hard. And so it's 
it's something that has been a slow evolution for me and my husband, but we're slowly getting into it where we're like, oh, we just dropped like $75 going out to eat, but that's okay because we're good to go. It is a bit of a tricky mindset shift from save, 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 invest, invest, invest to it's okay. And you can like, you should try to spend this much per year or else you're going to die with like $200 million and be like, what do I do now? (laughs) That's a very interesting problem to have, Julia. And may all the listeners, may all of us be blessed and have that problem as well. (laughs) So since we set the stage, right, you, you, you can basically probably with your, with your audience and your know-how travel probably anywhere for next to nothing and you have a bunch of money saved up. I want to ask what's one misconception that people might have about somebody who is living the life of both a multimillionaire and can also maybe travel almost anywhere. I think a lot of people expect that things just come very easy, which a lot of things do come easy to us. It's really nice not having to worry about like, do I have to choose between groceries or gas? Like that's just really nice to not have to worry about that. But there are other things where it still takes like a small amount of effort for me to find a ward space. I'm getting better at it now. Whereas before it would take days or hours to find a good flight deal. I can pretty easily find that now. But there's always the next thing that you want to find. So for me, it's more growing the business of teaching people how to find these different flight deals rather than finding them for myself. And whenever someone's like, I still don't understand. I don't know how you're doing this. I don't understand alliance partners and transfer partners. And why do I have to book through Air France in order to fly to Korea? And just constantly working on simplifying how I explain these things so that more people can enjoy getting to travel and more people can enjoy doing what I do. I think that's the next challenge because I forgot where I heard this quote, but somebody was once like, no math problem in the world is ever as complicated as trying to deal with another human being. And I'm like, that's true. I dealt (laughs) with some really complex math problems and it is not as complicated as dealing with another human being. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to get into travel hacking, right? Because I do travel hack. I'm definitely not as well-versed as you. I'm probably... I don't know, average. I've done like a points transfer before, which let me tell you was terrifying. I was like, I don't know. I'm putting all these points over here. They're telling me they're going to give me 25% more. Can I trust them? It all worked out and I got a great flight. But, you know, I've dabbled over the years. And again, like, like we mentioned before we hit record, I think what's given me leverage is being able to use business expenses and aggregating my wife's business who, you know, sometimes she's spending lots of money on behalf of people. And so we're, we've been able over the years to sometimes amass like just a crazy amount of points. So it's one thing to get into travel hacking and to use it, right, as your own personal benefit. But it's another thing to dedicate so much time and energy creating content around it. I want to know, like, why are you so excited about sharing and helping people learn how to travel hack? Well, very few people in my personal life wanted to hear about this. Like when I first heard about this, I was like, guys, we can travel for free. You just need these credit cards and then you earn these points and then you transfer them to other places. And I had like this crazy look in my eyes (laughs) and my family and most of my like non-points friends were like, no one wants to hear you talk about this all day. Like you are, you keep going on and on and on. She just won't stop. And I was like, well, 
I want to talk about this. So I guess I'll just like talk into the ether. <laughs> and that's why I have a podcast instead of a blog. I, I wrote like three blog posts and I was like, this is terrible. I hate writing, but I like talking to people about points. And so the podcast really just came out because I wanted to talk to other people about points. And so the pandemic was happening too. This was around 2020. And I was just so lonely sitting at home. And I was reaching out to other people on Instagram being like, hey, do you want to like jump on a Zoom call and hang out and talk about points? And they were like, <laughs> no, you rando from the internet. What a weirdo. And I was like, well, what if I record our conversation and then release it to thousands of people on the internet? And then they were like, oh, you're starting a podcast, like a points podcast. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm doing that. Do you want to be on the podcast? And it was really just my way of bamboozling people to like be friends with me for an hour. And so I would just have like someone to talk with for an hour. And I did not expect that people would like tune into it. And other people would be like, Oh, can I be on the podcast? And I was like, Yes, like more people want to hang out with me and chat with me. And it's just kind of grown from there. So that's, that's how it turned into a build it, a business is yeah, just from wanting some people to talk to about this very, very nerdy hobby. I love that. I, I definitely look at my podcast, you know, I try to not be so concerned with the metrics and so, sorry to my corporate overlords for saying that, but I mostly look at this as a way, like you said, to find people who are doing interesting things and find a way to just hang out with them for an hour and pepper them with questions. And hopefully folks who are listening can get some benefit out of it. So it's nice to hear that, you know, other people in the podcasting space are just trying to have a good time at the end of the day. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I want to know what, what's been your biggest travel hacking mistake so that we all don't make that mistake. Mm, I think a lot of people forget that points are supposed to make you happy and it's supposed to like take this expense away from your life. And I really try to remind myself and other people that often, because especially when it becomes like your livelihood, you're like, this isn't fun anymore. I'm stressed. I haven't made a sale in a long time. People aren't using my links. I haven't sold a course. We're going to be destitute. We're not going to be destitute. But it's like when your art form becomes your livelihood, mm -hmm. it can like zap a lot of the fun out of it. And so it's, important to remember like that anybody who gets into this hobby gets into it because you're like, oh, this is going to be fun to like save money and fly in business class and stay at nice hotels. And oh my God, I got an upgrade and like some free candy or some free champagne or something. And like just that feeling of excitement. Once you've been in it for a while and there's kind of like the hedonic treadmill where you're like, okay, another suite, another business class <laughs> flight. You have to really work to make sure you don't get into that mindset of like, oh, another first class flight, cool. And like to hang on to kind of that childlike wonder every time where you're like, wow, this is so cool. And I think that's also what drives me to make content is even if it's like kind of routine for me where I'm like, and then here's the usual shot of like, I walk through the plane, I scan through the seat, I scan, I like take photos of, of the food and everything on the plane. Somebody's like, oh my God, this is amazing. And somebody else is like, 
this is a lie. And I don't think she's even like on this plane. I think this is a, a set or something. And so just the fact that like there are those comments coming in where people don't even believe any of this is reality blows my mind and also kind of keeps it in check where I'm like, this is such a special experience for anybody to get to do. And the fact that I get to do it so routinely is just out of this world. And it reminds me to have a lot of gratitude for the kind of life that I get to live now. That's a great message, Julia. We all should have as much gratitude, you know, for all the big and little things in our lives. So I appreciate that reminder. So do you have any like philosophical, I mean, I guess you kind of already talked about that, right? Appreciating what you have and and gratitude, but I'm going to throw the question out there anyways. Do, Do you have any, you know, bigger life lessons that you've learned through travel hacking that you want to share with us? I think the biggest lesson is just like the impermanence of everything where with money, I was mentioning like you were so much taught to save and invest and hold on to it and like spending is bad. But at some point, like you have to cash your chips and we're only on this world for like so long. And yeah, you can pass it on to your children and everything, but you should enjoy your life while you're here as well. And I think that points kind of force you to look at it a little bit more that way, where a lot of points, like a lot of them just don't transfer upon death. So you should spend them in your lifetime. And you should also spend them pretty regularly because points devalue. A flight that costs 20,000 United points this year, they might just change the chart. And next year, it costs 50% more. It could be 30,000 points next year for that exact same flight. And so the game of points really does kind of force you to say, what, do, what are my goals, both short-term and long-term? And how do I make that happen? And how do I constantly keep moving to optimize my life for the maximum enjoyment that I can get? And how do I work towards those goals and fulfill them? Because I always tell people to work backwards with points where you pick where you want to go, price out how many points it's going to take, earn those points. And then once you're there, you need to redeem them for that exact goal, like that exact reason of why you earn these points in the first place. Because while people do like staring at their accounts being like, oh, I have 2 million points. I feel so cool. You're going to feel a lot cooler if you take like a business class flight. Like that's what the points are for. And so just as far as philosophical messages go, just kind of embracing the impermanence of everything and being like, enjoy, enjoy what you set out to do. And points usually don't come accidentally. Like you have to go apply for a credit card and you have to sign up for a loyalty program. And some points are accidental where you're like, oh, I didn't realize like that was a bonus category. I didn't realize I'd get this bonus. But most of it has to be pretty intentional. And most of the time, if you're playing the game the way that we teach, it's to have a certain goal in mind. So once you have enough points for that goal, the reminder is to spend it. Don't just sit there being like, I have 2 million points because next week, next year, that could have the buying power of like one and a half million points and then it'll just go down from there. So the phrase we use in the industry is earn and burn, earn your points, burn your points, do a cool redemption, do it all over again. It is so scary the first time where you're like, I just transferred out 100,000 points. It took me so long to earn those, but you get faster and faster. And it is good to get in the habit of like meeting those small goals and keeping those small promises you make to yourself and your family where you're like, next year, we're going to go to Hawaii. Next year, we're going to go to France. Next year, we're going to go to an all-inclusive in Mexico. Just like actually doing those things instead of hoarding is a really important mindset shift that I think points helps with. 
I've been hoarding, Julia. I'm going to come out of the closet. I've been hoarding the points. <laughs> so how many? I don't know. We have here's here's probably the other thing we're doing wrong is we just have them across all these different credit cards. We try to aggregate everything with Chase because Sapphire, right? Everybody, I th- not everybody starts with Sapphire, but that's been such a big one over the last handful of years. But then I started like I had a Capital One business accounts. So then I started using the venture card for some of my other business expenses. And then we have like Amex because just the way that my wife's business works, she's an interior designer who also does events. There's tremendous amounts of purchasing going on. And sometimes we just put like one client on one card and that's just like for months we're racking up or charging it up, paying it down, charging it up, paying it, paying it down. So they're kind of all over the place. And that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is like, how do I keep manage this? Like, what's your number one tip for keeping track of all these points everywhere? So working backwards helps. So if you have anywhere that you want to go, it sounds like you've racked up quite a few points. So I'd recommend spend some of those. And there are also different airlines where you can pool different types of points. And it sounds like you have pretty good points. Like you have the Chase, the Capital One, Amex City, the ones that you can transfer to multiple different places. You're sitting in a better spot than someone who's like, I have some Delta points and some United points and some Hilton points. Like having flexible credit card points is good. It's better because you can transfer both of those into Air Canada. You could transfer Chase and Capital One into Air France. You could move both of those into Virgin Atlantic or into British Airways. And then so you can pool your your different types of points to get one cool redemption. Whereas if you have United and Delta, you can't combine those in any good shape. So you're sitting in an okay spot from that standpoint. Great. That's just like a B plus, right? You're giving me a B plus? <laughs> yes. And it's going to turn into an A if you actually redeem them and spend them. So I would say that's the next goal is figure out what do you want to do with these and then spend down those points. Okay. I'm going to I'm gonna burn them and then I'm going to earn some more after that. <laughs> I'm going to have to work on my scarcity mindset though, because already thinking about spending them, I think we have less than a million, but more than half a million. So we're probably at like three quarters of of a million, 750K points, which is a good amount of points. But just thinking about eliminating them makes me a little bit sad. So I think I'm going to have to do the, the mental heavy lifting to feel good about parting with all those points or actually using them. I think sometimes it's nice to feel like I have it in my back pocket. Like if I ever want to get the hell out of LA for one weekend, then I have like, you know, I can just leverage those points. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. 
My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, Casey. I'm bummed. I applied for that apartment downtown, but they rejected me. Said something about my credit score. I didn't realize my credit score was so important. Yeah, Jamie. Unfortunately, your credit score is super important. It's like a report card of your past borrowing. Lenders, landlords, and even some employers check it. Damn. Okay, but how do I improve mine? I always feel lost when it comes to this stuff. First, always pay your bills on time. That's a huge one. Also, pay your statement in full or try to keep your credit card balances as low as possible. High balances can hurt your score. Okay. I've got a couple of credit cards I haven't used in a while. Maybe I should close them. Actually, don't close them just yet. Length of credit history matters, but make sure you keep an eye on them so they don't get misused. Thanks, Casey. I'm going to work on improving my score. I didn't realize how crucial a good credit score is, but now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Weird Finance! Weird What I've noticed lately as we've been looking is that it seems like getting a flight has always been the best deal in terms of redemption over hotels. Am I, is this just my own experience or does that seem to check out in terms of what you've observed as well? It depends what you're trying to do. So there are a lot of hotels where you can actually get really good redemptions. I think most of them tend to be Hyatt. And it depends what you're trying to do with like good redemptions. If you're trying to either minimize cost or if you're trying to maximize the value that you get per point, like cents per point value. So like with Hyatt Hotels, there's an all-inclusive hotel in California near San Francisco called Alila Ventana Big Sur. It costs $3,000 per night normal price or 40,000 points. So you can get like seven and a half cents per point, which is huge. It's very difficult to get that with most airline redemptions. 
if you want the like the super, super outsized, like 15 cents per point or something, those will be first class flights that you're redeeming your points for, but you can easily get four or five or more cents per point by transferring to different Hyatt hotels. And that would be your chase points or your build points, which are the only ones that transfer to Hyatt. Okay. And is there like an easy equation to figure out like how you did that points, you know, cents per point? Yeah, for flights. Well, okay, I'll say this. Cents per point is calculated as the dollar amount divided by the points price. So if something's either like $100 or 5,000 points, then 100 divided by 5,000 is 0.02. So that's two cents per point, which is fine. The cents per point math can get like complicated and people are like, I don't understand what's going on. So my rule for flights is just pay up to 10,000 points per hour of flight time in business class. Okay. So if it's going to take you eight hours to fly from Chicago to Germany in business class, be willing to pay up to 80,000 points per person each way to do that. If there's a layover, don't count the time in the layover. Just count the actual flight time. And that's an easy rule of thumb that I call the 10K rule, where it's up to 10,000 points per hour of flight time in business class. If it's economy, take about half that and it's going to be a 5K rule. Amazing. I already feel like I'm going to do better with these little hacks. So I appreciate you walking me through that. So I know that there's probably a lot of people who are reluctant to use credit cards. Uh, And I think that there's really two objections. And I would love it if you could help me address these objections. Now, the first one is just debt in general. I think that lots of people have a fear of credit cards. They don't want to use them. They're scared of credit cards, so they avoid them completely. What do you have to say to these folks who are leaving money on the table? Start small. So it's okay to leave money on the table because it's better than like you falling under the table as far as like debt and everything. So if you already know that like, if the credit card's in your wallet, you're just going to go on spending sprees and then end up in spiraling debt. Yeah, it might just be a smarter decision to say, stay away from all of this. And that's completely valid. If you're like, I kind of want to get into it, but I don't know if I have like all that control. What you can do to start with is maybe put like groceries and gas on a credit card and then still do everything like cash system, debit card, whatever your current non-credit card system is for shopping and everything else that's a little bit more discretionary. But for things like subscriptions, you can put that on a credit card because you know exactly how much it's going to be each month. And then you can pay it off every month because you already know how much you need to have in your checking account. So that way you can start small and eventually ramp up from there. It is very, very important that if you're going to play the travel hacking game with points and miles the way we teach, you pay off your entire balance in full every month or else you obviously have to pay late fees and interest. And these credit cards have some of the highest interest payments of any cards on the market. That's part of how they can give out such good rewards. They kind of assume you're not going to pay it off in full. So the game only works best if you do pay it off in full. So then you don't have to pay those interest charges and you just get all the cool rewards. Great advice, Julia. I often, I took that for granted that that was an underlying assumption in this conversation. So I appreciate you calling that, that out. Okay, the other objection is a little bit more prickly and you kind of alluded to it. The other objection is that the people who benefit from travel hacking and the credit card benefits are only able to do that because people who are poorer or who are trapped in debt, the ones paying the interest are the ones who are subsidizing this benefit. 
So people want to be conscientious objectors. Do you have any thoughts on on that idea? Yes. So for everybody who's like, I don't like that I'm subsidizing this. Those are the people who like shouldn't even be doing this credit card game. Like if you can't pay everything off in full, and I know this is easier said than done because air conditioners break, cars break down, like kids have to go to daycare. So certain things do have to go on credit cards. But if at all possible to put that on a credit card that doesn't have high interest, even if you're giving up some of the rewards, just by saying, I'm not in a position to play this game and like knowing your situation well enough to be like, I need to step away from this high rewards game for a while just because it's not suiting my lifestyle. And then actively choosing to not be the person subsidizing this with interest payments. That would be my advice for everyone there. For everyone who's like, credit cards in general are bad because capitalism. I struggle to think of a better alternative because... I don't want all of us to be on debit cards that have no purchase protection or no anything else like that. Uh, just like the fraud alerts or just the fraud risk on not having a credit card is crazy. Like if somebody taps into your debit card, which is another way that like very unpoor or very unfair to people who are poorer is like, okay, so you're on a debit card, but now like if that debit card number gets stolen, like somebody can easily wipe your bank account. So like doing a secured credit card or just something where it's lower interest payments, like 0% balance transfer something. There's lots of different options on the market and I'm not as well versed on like the low credit options and the like the lower rewards side of things. But I also don't think the answer is like, well, if everyone can't do this, no one should do this. Because if we do live in a world where like none of the credit card benefits like purchase protection like fraud protection, if none of that exists, I struggle to think that that argument has merit and that we would be in a better world if none of those protections existed for anybody just because they can't exist for everybody in the way that our capitalist system stands right now. Yeah. If that made sense. No, it makes total sense. And I talk about this too with investing in the stock market, right? People are like, you know, it's unethical, it's immoral. I want to be a conscientious objector. I mean, we can play that game all day long, like having an Apple computer and an iPhone and using the internet. We can argue how we're taking, you know, precious metals from the earth and using, you know, I had an old boss who used to say, we're all hypocrites. It's a matter of where we draw the line. So that's one way, one lens in which I, I look through, you know, the the ability to reconcile the ir- irreconcilable, let's call it. And yeah, the other thing is like, if you don't have wealth, if you don't have generational wealth and you're struggling to get by and you do want to build wealth, you do have to invest in the market. It's going to be the easiest, least risky and historically best way. And you don't need a down payment like you do, you need for a house. So I think, I think the benefits outweigh whatever the, how exploitative it is in nature, unfortunately. And this is the system that we're in and the system that we continue to opt into And then the other argument I like to make is like, there are other ways to walk around on planet Earth and not be a dick to everyone, right? You could just like be nice. (laughs) In my attempt to walk around the world and not be a dick to everyone. So one offer that I make to people is I have a Patreon where every month we donate like many thousands of dollars to whatever the charity of the month that Patreons vote on is. So if this is an issue where you're like, the credit system is exploitive, 
and I have a charity in mind where like we should be donating money to like whatever the equivalent of like carbon offsetting for this is, if you do have that charity in mind, the Patreon is $5 and very few people ever nominate a charity. So if you want to join in, the $5 is mostly just be like, I have skin in the game, pay in $5. You can nominate a charity and the cause of your choice will get thousands of dollars directly from me. That is an option out there as well. If this is something you're truly passionate about, I have actually had zero people who have ever like sent in these kinds of objections to be like, this is immoral. I'm like, we have this option. If it is very important to you, you can pay in $5 to the Patreon. You get all of the Patreon benefits, like learning how to do points and miles as well. And then you can consider it an, a return on investment and your investment will go to the cause of your choice. But for whatever reason, I have had almost nobody on the internet who like sends me these objections, take me up on that offer, even though it could mean thousands of dollars to the charity of their choice. Wait, so you're so. saying people send you these objections? Yes. And I oh. counter with, if it's very important to you, this is my offer where like, if you have $5 to spare yeah. in order to get thousands of dollars to the organization of your choice, I love that. this is the route to do that. And no one ever takes me up on it. So... <laughs> I don't know if it's like a keyboard warrior thing or like what's going on, but like it, it's a legitimate offer. And yeah. we have receipts for the the charities that we've supported in the past. So if it is very important to somebody where they're like, we need to take a stand against like the exploitive ways of the credit system. And you want to do that through asking me to donate thousands of dollars to someone or a charity of your choice. That is, that is my offer to the internet. That's amazing. I love that you're doing that. Thank you for doing that. And I will make sure to link that in the show notes for anyone who's feeling, you know, excited to take you up on that offer. Okay, let me see if I have any more questions in terms of rewards points. I feel like we answered them. Is there anything before I turn this over and ask you some rapid fire personal finance questions? Is there anything that you want to mention about rewards points that we didn't mention? Oh, there's so many things. (laughs) But the main thing is don't redeem your points through the credit card portal. You're going to get like one cent per point. If you do that, the way to maximize your points is to learn about different transfer partners. That's like a whole podcast episode in and of itself. But I do lots of YouTube step-by-step tutorials for like, click here, then here, then here. And here's how you move your points around in order to make the most out of your points. So we have tons of YouTube tutorials on that. But yeah, that's a whole many hours of content. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to level up after this because... Now I won't. Now I'm not going to uh, book things through the through the credit card redemption site. So thank you, Julia, for making me better at this. And it wasn't boring at all. <laughs> I got to say, a lot of times when I do this research, I'm like, I don't know. This is, I, well, I definitely want to optimize it, but it can get a little boring. So I appreciate you being out here making this stuff a little bit more interesting. Okay, now I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Alrighty. Sure. First one is. Tell me about something you purchased that maybe to the naked eye seems frivolous, but for you is money well spent. Hmm. What do I spend money on? So my favorite shirts, this one isn't one of them, but I really love bamboo clothes, which are like $40 a t-shirt, which is like a lot to some people, like $40 or $50 a t-shirt, but they're just so good for travel. They breathe really well. They're just softer. They're comfier. It's a renewable resource, a lot better than cotton. So the amount of bamboo clothing I have as far as like travel t-shirts. My favorite dress is a bamboo shirt. I have bamboo towels. I have bamboo like 
travel underwear and everything, socks. Like, I love bamboo stuff and I have spent a lot of money on my bamboo wardrobe. My favorite sleep t-shirt that I'll use as a pajama shirt is a bamboo shirt. So I, I co-sign on this. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, that you'd give to your younger self? If I could go back in time, I'd be like, you'll be okay in the end. It's okay to spend a little bit more money on like enjoying life. And I remember I had this rule in college where I'm like, I'm not going to spend two digits on shoes. Like shoes have to be $9 or less from Amazon, which is like, you're not good feet. for my feet. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> it's not good for anything. So just like stupid rules I made up when I was like, oh, we have to like save every single dollar. Um, I would tell myself to buy decorations for my wedding and not get the cheapest DJ who like didn't follow directions at all. So there are certain things in life where I'm like, I wish I spent more on this. I see so many memes that it's like, no one ever goes back and says, I wish I spent more on my wedding. I do. I kind of <laughs> wish I spent more on my wedding. I like that contrarian uh, perspective there, Julia. Did you have any financial superstitions growing up? Not really. I had a lot of like exam superstitions when I was going through actuarial exams of like, well, I have to like do this to please the exam God so that I pass my exam and therefore get promoted and like reach financial independence. So like kind of it. There was that. Yeah, that's a superstition. Tell me, like, did you not wash your socks or something weird like that? Oh, no, there was like exam diet where like I had to like stick to certain foods. I was like, they don't want. And some of it was like legitimate like don't drink alcohol before your exam obviously (laughs) or like don't binge eat sugar eat a lot of salmon and eat a lot of walnuts and spinach and like good brain foods and then but also things like the exam gods don't want you to have friends and they don't want you to go out like three weeks before the exam and just like what you're allowed to pack for lunch and like the exam gods want this and want that and if you ask actuaries who are some of like the most logical math nerds like do you have superstitions? And everyone's like, no, that would be dumb. And then you, the second question is, do you have a weird exam routine that you follow? And everyone's <laughs> like, oh yeah, I have like my lucky pencils and like my ru- lucky rubber bands around the pencils. So it's it's completely orthogonal to what we would deem as logical, but that definitely happened. This, this is not a rapid fire question, but I feel like you've dangled this. So now I, now I have to ask, how many exams have you, did you have to sit for throughout your career? Eight. and. There are more now. So God bless any actuarial candidates going through it right now. But I went through eight and the easiest one or the first ones went through like 300 hours of recommended study time. And the last ones were 500 to six hours of recommended study time. Then there's like a couple seminars. There's like some online classes too. So many thousands of hours over six years were spent getting credentials for a career that I... Uh, I, I completed all of them. I got my certification and then... You tapped out? Now I do this. <laughs> now I do this. I love that. Okay, last one for you is, do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Oh, I'm sure I do. And I'm sure a lot of them were just from being weirdly cheap. Like one... So as much as I love free stuff now and like the luxury flights and hotels and everything, I think I reached like peak obsession with free stuff when I was engaged. So I would go to all of these bridal shows and just like have a canvas bag and be like, samples, just like get in my bag. And one of them, I got like a free chemical peel. Oh no. From a spa. Oh no, it's free. 
It's free. So for anyone who hasn't had a chemical peel, what happens is they like rub acid on your face and then like all the dead skin floats to the top and then like peels off over three days. Apparently all the dead skin on my face was on the bottom half of my face. So I had dead skin beard for about three days. So I had, and like the top half of my face is just red. So top half, I look like a messed up Pokemon ball. So I go into work and then my boss is like, happened to you? And I explain, I'm like, it was free. And she was like, yeah, just because somebody offers to rub $90 worth of chemicals on your face for free, doesn't mean you need to let them. And she was about, she then was around 33, which is the age I'm now. And I'm like, yeah, I would definitely say that to a 23 year old analyst employee who was engaged. So that's my fumbles is like weird things that I grab because they're free. And like, None of it needed to happen. Just like, don't let people do this to your face just because they were like, I'll do it for free. Oh, the lessons we learn on their journey of life, right, Julia? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I want to thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast, for educating me, educating our listeners. Where can everybody follow along and learn more from you? I mostly hang out on Instagram at GeoBreeze Travel. We also have lots of step-by-step tutorials on the YouTube, also called GeoBreeze Travel. I have a free points and miles 101 course for everyone at geobreezetravel.com slash free course. And if you download that, it'll add you to our mailing list and we can send you some other weekly resources there, most of which are free. Amazing. Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We Welcome to Loose Change. On this edition, I once again went to social media and I asked folks this very simple question. What is one purchase that you've made that has made the biggest impact on your daily lives? There were lots of different responses. The most popular were 
dog adoption fees uh, and cat adoption fees, therapy, uh, things I'll put into the category of wellness, like gym memberships, Pelotons, meditation apps. Lots of folks also named their cars and bicycles as their most impactful purchase. I'd say the most unusual response, in my opinion, was a tractor, and that's probably because I live in the city. <laughs> so buying a tractor is not something that feels common to me. Uh, but the most common response that I can 100% relate to is a mattress or some kind of sleep device. Now, Colleen from Dallas called in to share more details about her purchase. So I'm going to let you hear Colleen in her own words. Hi, this is Colleen from Dallas. I was calling about um, the one purchase I've made that's made the biggest um, impact in my life. And I'm assuming that rescuing a dog is not a purchase, um, but that would probably be my answer otherwise. Um, but it's an Uller from, um, I don't know if it's called Sleep Me Now. Um, it used to be called Chili Pad. Um, it's freaking amazing. Um, it cools your bed to um, like the, the perfect temperature for sleep. And um, I know that sounds insane, but I was such a bitch <laughs> when I wasn't sleeping well. Um, and now getting good sleep and waking up in the middle of the night and being able to fall back asleep has um, made me more productive, um, nicer, happier, etc. Um, definitely recommend it. It's the Uller. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to everyone that shared their purchase. Lately, I've noticed a lot of folks feeling negative about spending, which makes perfect sense. Even with inflation easing, prices are still high from everyday things like groceries to bigger ticket items like, you know, houses. And so I just wanted to invite folks to share a positive, joyful aspect of spending. If you'd like to participate and be featured in our next segment of Loose Change, email us at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a message at one eight three three ask paco Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. Thank you so much to Colleen from Dallas for calling in and sharing her one purchase that's had the biggest impact on her daily life for our Loose Change segment. And thank you so much to Ramsey Yunt and Andrew Howard for lending their voices for this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, Give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care.
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.